This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. Kirsten, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Helen. I am so thrilled to be doing this podcast with you. It's so important. How about I uh, just ask you to start where you feel uh, it, it's relevant? Sure. Um, yeah. So like you, like you said, in, in 2017, um, I, I officially I came out and, and went through gender transition both in my uh, personal life and professional life in the, the oil and gas industry. Um, but obviously the story... Uh, leading up to that started uh, started a, a lot of years before that. So, um, you know, in a lot of ways, my life growing up was was you know from the outside looking in was was very typical. And um, I I came from a very supportive family. I grew up in uh, in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, in the eighties, so small town Saskatchewan in the eighties, um, and. Uh, had had an older brother, two younger sisters, so I had quite a quite a big family, and and through all those years, you know, lived a, a, a relatively normal, you know, or sort of quote unquote normal life, um, and presented as male, uh, and tried to do all those those male things, um, but really through that time, I mean, ever since I was a kid, uh, I definitely struggled with with uh, my gender and the, the gender that I was assigned at birth relative to the, uh, the internalized sense of, of who I was. Um, but of course it was the eighties in Saskatchewan and, and the word transgender and any information or, uh, or exposure to that world was pretty non-existent. Um, so it went for a lot of years, kind of kind of buried under the surface and, and not really, uh, knowing what to do with it. Uh, I always use the word confusion. It was a lot of years of, of confusion between um, identity and sexuality and, and just trying to unravel it all. Um, through the through the high school years, it was, you know, like I said, outside looking in, it was very, you know, I was the, the you know, Mr. Football on the football team and, you know, all of those really stereotypical <laughs> male things. Uh, but internally was was really really struggling uh, quite quite significantly with with who I was, um, and then it was right in in grade eleven that I met my uh, my current spouse, and uh, she was kind of the person that you know I was I was call her my you know was the safety line at that that point in my life that I grabbed onto and um, and fell completely in love with her and. You know, and so then we we started this life together. We uh, we started dating in grade eleven, and we we went to university together. We moved to Alberta together, uh, started a life. Um, and in two thousand five, I guess was was when you know the story really started. Um, was the point at which I told her, uh, and, and even at that time, I didn't know what what was going on or how to talk about it with her, but. Um, we were kind of looking looking forward to starting a family, and uh, I, I kind of was coming to this point that I needed her to understand that there was something going on, um, and uh, and just be honest before we, we took any big steps together. What was her uh, response? I, you know, I I, do, I want to back up a bit. Is you know, I'm, I'm sure, how, yeah, in, yeah, no, just internally. 
what did that feel like when you said you you know you don't you didn't understand what you were feeling like what is there any way to describe internally how you knew that you weren't comfortable in whatever that means you know you know what i mean yeah for sure i think it you know i think it's 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 going through that process as a you know as a child and you know the teenage years of you know i i think that everybody just has an innate sense of who they are, of, of their identity and, and the things they relate to and the, the pieces that, um, that they're attracted to. And I think the best way, I mean, it's hard to pick just one thing, you know, over a lifetime that says, yes, this is the point I knew something was wrong. Um, I think it was, it's just a lot of things. And I, I think that maybe the best way to think about it is that all the things I was doing, I had to consciously be trying to enjoy or trying to like, or trying to like, to me, it was always a very conscious, uh, conscious decision to choose to play a sport or choose to, um, you know, choose the clothes I wore, choose the, none of it felt natural. It, it always felt very unnatural. uh, But I did so to fit, you know, to fit kind of the, the expectation of those times. I know that's yeah. super vague, but it, it's, it's really hard to, um, to point to one thing. And I, when I speak about it, I always, I always talk about the fact that I didn't, you know, I wasn't one of those kids jumping up and down saying, you know, I'm a girl, I'm a girl, I'm a girl, uh, because I didn't know that was an option. Like I, I didn't know that, you know, back to the, the, the perspective of that time, um, you know, the, the information and, you know, any, any portrayal of, of gender diversity in the 80s was comical or was, um, you know, was kind of fringe stuff. Um, so it was, it was really tricky to know what the answer was until I actually, you know, got a lot older and that world started to, to uncover itself to me. Well, sure. And, you know, in, in, in the 80s, um, also, it wasn't... Um, it wasn't recognized. I mean, this is not new uh, to the human race is that feeling, but uh, you know, in those times, the societal um, norms were, you know, you'd even see it on TV. Like when you watch a lot of eighties TV now and they make reference to, you know, gays and all of that, it's actually, it just cringe worthy to watch it now. And we were all raised in that mindset, weren't we? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's that, you know, kind of that unconscious bias piece, right, is, is that we were all, we were all just fed that commentary for, you know, all of our developmental years so that, you know, as adults, or as I went through my, my transition, or, or really that, you know, that fight for self-acceptance, it was really unpacking all of that stuff that, uh, that was the true challenge is, is really reevaluating uh, you know, what was real and what, you know, what was not. So, so then, so we'll fast forward. You're now married to your high school sweetheart. Um, what was her, what was her reaction? Was she surprised or was she, uh, did she kind of have a sense along the way or? Uh, no, I think, I mean, it was obviously a moment I will never, uh, I will never forget. I mean, up until that point, I had, you know, there was no signs. I mean, I, I, I was exhausted myself, essentially, you know, hiding every, you know, every sign or every part of, of that part of who I was. And I was really, really convinced, you know, that it would eventually go away that, you know, that, 
forever optimistic that that I was going to grow out of it or um, you know as long as I did really good in my career as long as I did really good in school and and I was filling that and, and kind of hyper focusing on all of the um, the controllables. So from her perspective, uh, you know, as we talked about, we we had known each other since grade nine. We've been friends since grade nine. And, you know, through her lens, she had married the captain of the football team. And, you know, this this handy do-it-yourselfer, you know, fishing enthusiast person who would watch football on Sundays, you know, all of the things were there. So um, the moment I told her, uh, you know, was this, you know, definitely one of the most important moments of my life and, and for sure of our relationship, uh, because it was at a point in my life of, of enormous desperation, I would say. Um, and, you know, as much when I look at it, look back at it now, it's, it was, it was truly a life or death moment um, because up until that moment, emotionally and mentally, I had decided that, you know, if, if in that moment she didn't get it, you know, she was kind of my last, last ditch um, as, as far as somebody that I thought might understand what was going on. Um, well, you were taking, uh, I would imagine, did you feel like you were taking a big risk in saying, risk in saying, listen, this is, this is what I'm feeling. You could have lost her. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I think it was, um, it was, I'm trying to think how to say it. I mean, it's, it was, it was definitely the moment of, you know, of if it didn't work, if she had turned around and said something different, then I would not be here today to tell the story. Um, I had made my mind up that that's, you know, that, I couldn't keep going the way I was going. And she was the, you know, is the most loving, open-minded person I know. And if, you know, if she didn't get it or she had validated that there was something very, very wrong with me, um, then I think that would have just been uh, the end for me. Um, So it is, it is enormous. Like I, 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 when I tell the story, I, um, you know, and I don't, I don't, I don't tell it in a, in a, you know, effort to be dramatic about it or to, uh, it truly was. I mean, like where I was at, at that point, it was, you know, it was that or nothing, you know, it was, um, I thought yeah, I was I, very, very broken at that point in time. Right. And and to be fair, I, I don't think it's being dramatic. That's a pretty big um, reveal to anybody uh, that's that is the ultimate place of vulnerability for any human being, and uh, that's a big ask for someone who has this vision of you as her husband and her lover and her best friend, and then all of a sudden you're essentially taking that view out of her, um, you know, sight and moving it in. I mean, she she sounds like an incredible woman because. She recognized, she, she knew your heart. Yeah, and I think that, you know, in that moment, uh, it's when, when we look back at it, I mean, we had, you know, that moment happened, um, would be 11 years before I actually transitioned publicly and socially. So, you know, there was a lot that happened in those 11 years. So in that actual moment uh, of, of telling her, I think what it really was is, is her... 
um, I will never forget she, what the, the words that she used in that moment were um, that, you know, everybody has the right to figure out who they are. You know, they have the right to that self-exploration piece. And she just kind of said, it sounds like you haven't had a chance to do that. You haven't given yourself permission to do that. Uh, and you need to do that. You need to figure out who you are. And so it was kind of, you know, that was the open door to just to start thinking about it and start figuring it all out with her. Um, we had no idea where in that moment it would go. Were your kids um, in uh, born then? They were, no. So we, we had this conversation, you know, what absolutely what kind of brought it to a head was, was the idea of having children. And I, um, you know, I, I, to this day, we'll, we'll say that I, I did not have the words to, to explain what was going on, um, but I knew something was. And so we had the conversation because I didn't want to, you know, have start the family and do all those things. And then if it didn't go away, then, you know, have her feeling like she got trapped in a situation that, um, you know, where I had known all along. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, in that, that was 2005 that we had that conversation and, you know, in the initial conversation, it was, it was very much about taking the time to, you know, to do the self-exploration and, and figure out who I was. And then it was a few weeks later that we really talked about kids again. And, uh, and again, she came back to, uh, one of her, the, 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 the words that I share, um, she said, that she would never want her kids to grow up not appreciating the value, uh, you know, of diversity and of, you know, of what, what different can look like and the, uh, the love that's possible in that kind of world. So, you know, over those weeks, I think she had kind of rationalized to herself that, you know, there was still a deep connection, a deep love between the both of us. Um, and so we kind of together decided just to keep going uh, to see where it would go. And what so at that at that point it's the two of you Kirsten and Jen together against the world kind of when did you bring your fam your your family like your mom and your your dad and your siblings into it Yeah it's a good question so I mean the you know the the timeline was you know we had that conversation in 2005 and and you know as supportive and and amazing as it was I mean it's it's for me it was kind of one huge step forward and then 50 backwards almost, um, you know, as far as, as kind of retreating back and, and I'm thinking, okay, she's, she's supportive and she's okay, but, but I still don't want to do anything to jeopardize, you know, jeopardize this, uh, this friendship and relationship. And so it was kind of life as, as, you know, as quote unquote normal for a little while. And, uh, my daughter was born in 2007, um, and then my son was born in 2010. And, you know, so through those, through those years, it was, you know, definitely talking about it and a little bit of, of self-exploration, a lot of, you know, on my half, there's a lot of depression and anxiety and, um, and just not wanting to have to deal with it, thinking this was the most unfair thing that I could possibly be faced with in my life. And, you know, all those very self-defeating, defeating things, um, and then as far as the rest of the family, you know, like the, the, one of the, the things, the other things that Jen did to me or did for me was, um, was we got to a point in the relationship where 
you know, I forget her saying it. She said, you know, that I was kind of just empty. She said, you're, you're, you're coming home from work every day, but you're not actually coming home. You know, you're, you're not present. And, you know, it, it got to a point where she said uh, that, you know, she loved me, she supported me, but she didn't know how to help me figure this out. And, and asked that I start, uh, start counseling to, to, to work with somebody to actually help me figure it all out, which at that point in time is something that I did not want to do. <laughs> um, Why is that? Why is that? I didn't, you know, cause it, it's that the whole arc of the story. I mean, in that, that early part of the part of the time, I was still very much in this mentality of this is never going to be possible. So talking about it, entertaining it, um, thinking about it, doing any of those things was completely a waste of time and pointless. And so I would go through these, these cycles of, of, you know, total confidence that I was going to be able to just live with this. And, you know, it was just this little quirk about me and all those sorts of things. Um, and then that was offset with these, you know, very long stretches of, of incredibly depressed and trapped and anxious and, um, you know, and all of these, uh, you know, kind of really emotionally tricky sure. things to, to deal with. Sure. Um, well, and so I, the, the, sorry, I was going to say, so the, so therapy for me, especially in the early days, you know, obviously the therapist did what a therapist does and, uh, they start to, to unravel all of these things that I don't want to talk about and I don't want to, um, to think about. And, and again, to, to Jen's credit, I mean, the, the thing that kept me going, through all of that, you know, I saw that therapist for 10 years. I mean, the thing that kept me going through all of that was the fact that I knew if I stopped doing that, then I was going to lose her. Um, you know, it, and, it was- and you, and you Kirsten, because I, you know, I, when you're telling this story, I, I keep thinking, what were the words, you know, we, we all have those deep those uh, deep wells within us when we don't want to face it and we do that self-defeating talk and we're, we're so afraid we're going to be ostracized and, and kicked out of the community and all of those kinds of things. To be able, I mean, the first step really is to say the words out loud, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really, it's the unconscious bias thing and it's, it's really starting, it was a process of, of bringing those to the surface and, you know, and really digging into them and, and to our earlier conversation, it was, you know, when you do the work, it was, it was all of those, those things that we were raised as. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't point to anybody in my life that I can say, hey, there's, you know, there's a very successful and happy transgender person. Because the entire commentary of that community when I was growing up was, you know, was either, like I said, either comic and, um, and kind of that less than culture um, or it was very tragic. It was, you know, it was, you know, sex trade and it was abuse and it was all these things that, you know, that, that didn't relate. So it was, you know, when I looked at the world, I was working in an oil and gas, in the oil and gas industry, a very male dominated, um, you know, definitely kind of older school industry. And, and, you know, in all of Calgary, I didn't, I didn't know of another person that could uh, that had done it, that had done it successfully. So to me, you know, even being somebody transgender in the oil and gas industry was a completely impossible thing. And that was, you know, that was how I supported my family. And that's, you know, it would be irresponsible to do anything 
that jeopardized my ability to support my family. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, unfortunately, um, there's always got to be the one that takes the first step in um, bringing it uh, to the world where and trying to normalize it. And like you say, if you're in a male-dominated career, wow, it must have been completely fearful to say those words. When you first said them, now I know when you first said them to Jen, and then your family, and then as you go along and you're starting to reveal the real Kirsten, um, did you find any relief in that or were you still very much fear-based? I think it was very, very fear-based for a long time. I I think that... um, you know, even even saying the words or or owning the identity took a really long time in the process. I mean, I I certainly didn't tell Jen when I talked to her I was transgender. It was more it was way more, you know, here's the dreams I have and here's you know it was very very vague kind of beating around uh, around the bush. And I always I always say that I was fortunate, you know, be it with Jen or with people that came into the story after is is the support people I had. Um, I was very lucky to have people that saw where it needed it to go before I saw where it needed to go, if that makes yeah. sense. You know, yeah, it's absolutely. those those people that um, that would kind of, you know, catch me and say, you know what, I know it sucks. I know it's hard. I know it's uncertain. Uh, but, you know, and Jen always used to say, she's like, I have no idea. We have no idea where this is going to end up. Um, she said, and she would say, all we know for sure is that we can't go back to what it was. Uh, which is really powerful, you know, as, a, as kind of an affirmation or a, a reminder along the way. Always. And when you do that work, um, any kind of work like that, you actually don't want to go back because you've had a, a, a even a measure or a feeling of freedom, even if it's just fleeting while you're trying to figure it all out. Who would want to go back, really? Yeah, that's kind of it. And it's, you know, the the when I was doing doing counseling, there was kind of a couple, I mean, like I said, it was a lot of, a lot of years, but there was some very um, formative moments in it. And, and I think that, you know, the first one with, uh, with the counselor was, you know, her, she was, you know, trying to dig into this. And I, and I remember always getting, you know, really, really aggressive and angry with her saying, you know, I cannot, you know, I cannot live my life as, you know, as, as this person that I, you know, that I might be, I can't do this or I can't, do any of the pieces. So there's no point um, in even thinking about this. That was the very self-defeating start of it all. And uh, she used to always say, she said, um, or what she finally kind of taught me was that you don't do it all at once, right? I mean, you, she said, you just, you got to give yourself permission to start taking small steps towards towards getting there. And that was, that was a really big um, kind of realization. So it was very, very little steps. Um, it wasn't all of a sudden one day, like a lot of people think it's not all of a sudden one day you wake up and you're like, you know what, I'm going to change, uh, you know, change everything and flip my life upside down. So the other really, really important moment with her was, um, you know, it was in one of those, you know, exceptionally emotionally hard times. And, you know, it was really, when I think about it, it was that moment that I was starting to really appreciate where this needed to go. Um, or, or giving myself permission to believe that maybe this had to happen, uh, that transition had to happen. And um, we were sitting across from each other and, you know, I started very aggressive with her. I said, this can't happen, you know, kind of this, the same commentary that, that had been there uh, the last uh, or the entire time. 
Um, and she, I said, uh, I said, it's not, um, it's going to be like, it's, it's way too hard. It's way too hard to, to do this and I can't do it. Um, and she kind of looked at me and she said, she said, but do you think continuing doing what you are doing is easier? And it was this mo- this huge moment of realization, you know, after 30 years of life of, of struggling with it and thinking, yeah, okay, maybe not, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't, maybe, you know, transition is going to be hard and it's going to be full of challenges. Um, but living this life I'm living right now is not, is not easy either. Right. It's yeah. just safe, you know, for lack of a better word. Well, but you know, you bring a good point. And when, when anyone is looking at a big change in their life now, I'm going to say transgender is pretty big change, but if you're looking at ending your relationship or you want to quit your job, you do go through this series of, like you say, that self-doubt. What am I doing? You've got that good and evil, black and white, should I, shouldn't I on your shoulders. And it's almost, that's probably, you know, that could be the most painful part of the journey. And then once you start saying those words, you know, it's over, I've changed, this is what I want, this is who I am. Um, it's almost, it must be a huge relief to just go, holy, how is hanging on to that for how long? Yeah, absolutely. And I, there's, a, there's a huge element of, and I like that you said just change in general, because, you know, as you know, that's, that was kind of my biggest lesson through all of this is that, you know, while, you know, trans, doing gender, going through gender transition is, is obviously a big change. I think the, that so many people go through enormous change in their life that's difficult to go through. And I, you know, I don't think the, the, tr- the transgender journey is necessarily as unique um, as, as I definitely thought before, I, I think change is hard. And I think emotionally, we all go through uh, a really similar uh, kind of roller coaster of ups and downs. And um, I think the other, the other really important thing looking back on it all is, is that when, when any of us are faced with change, it is incredibly easy, you know, to sit down, get your pencil out and, you know, make notes about all the things that you're jeopardizing or all the things that you may possibly lose by making whatever decision you're going to make. Um, what is impossible to see is all the things that you're going to gain. Um, you know, so it's kind of that, you know, I look back now and I think not only did I not lose a lot, but, you know, I was very, very lucky to, uh, for my life to remain relatively intact through it all. Um, but what I have gained, the people that have come into my life, the opportunities that have presented themselves because of of making that choice are incredible. Um, and I think it it is kind of that that blind, you know, that blind jump. Uh, that was kind of the, the visual I always used is is you're kind of standing on the edge and uh, you got to kind of close your eyes and you got to jump and and not know for sure where you're going to land or who's going to go with you when you do. Right, but but ultimately, um, the the key to that journey is that inside is you you need to be true to yourself, and I think that you're absolutely right. Is the the change is change is change. Human beings don't like change, and and it's that fear of going into the unknown. What's it going to look like? And I, you know, I know you normal you've normalized this uh, this transition for sure, just because of the work you're doing, which is wonderful. So my question to you is, what happened when you told your family? Oh, oh sure, yeah. Um, Talking about change, I, I have to tell you if. 
my son came home and and was telling me about this big change he needed to do. I know me, I would support him, but I would certainly go through a very big grieving um, period. Yeah, and I think that that is, you know, that is obviously a, a, a big part of the story. I think that um, with respect to telling my own family, so I, mean, I told Jen in 2005, uh, we had our, our kids in 2007 and 2010, um, and then it wasn't until 2000. Um, 15 that we started to kind of bring our, you know, both uh, Jen's parents and my parents and siblings and everything into the mix of it all. Um, and what really drove drove the timing for that uh, in my journey was the, you know, through the counseling, we used to talk about it a lot. When is the right time to tell, uh, to tell people to bring other people into it? And and really what it, what it came down to was, um, was this kind of, uh, this affirmation or this, uh, I'm trying to say like the. Well, I, I was going the, to ask you to, if that, if this helps is give me the feelings around. Uh, I mean, you and Jen kind of had this little secret, uh, and I. For I a lot I of hope, years. Yeah, yeah. I hope that doesn't sound disrespectful, but nope, you had, you had this little secret that the two of you held on to. So <laughs> that you became one in this piece and then it's almost like you had to go through the whole thing again now and she has to uh, tell her family she has to tell your family so um what were the feelings around that were they the same were it was it fear-based was it you know all of that stuff that you went through in 2005 with Jen? yeah it, it, it i mean it would was definitely definitely fear-based i think that the the difference was is is you know both personally and together we had kind of done the work over those years to, to again, to this self-acceptance piece. So um, I didn't doubt who I was at the point that we told our families uh, was the difference, I think. And, you know, I, I, I was doubtful of that when I told Jen. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know, um, you know, what the future looked like. So when we fast forward to telling, um, telling our, our family, it was very, it was much more concrete. Like, it doesn't make me, mean that it was easy by any means, but it was, um, there wasn't a lot of vagueness to it. You know, we had the language, we had the support system and, uh, in counseling, the, what I couldn't remember was, you know, her advice was always, uh, sorry, the therapist's advice was always, she said, you bring everybody else into it when you trust completely that no matter what the reaction is, that you guys are going to be okay. Um, and that's really what drove the timing of, of telling family. Um, emotionally telling, um, telling my parents was incredibly difficult because I'm a lot like my mom. I, I knew where my parents were going to go with this. I knew that they were going to, you know, to your point, they were going to, um, struggle and they were going to mourn the loss of, of kind of what they thought was. Um, but more than that, I knew that they were going to be devastated to know that, they had this kid that had struggled for so long and they didn't see it. Um, and that, you know, that to this day, I think with my parents is the biggest piece of the struggles still with them um, is, is, you know, they were really, really great or they are really, really great parents. Um, and they were very supportive through all those years. Um, but well, they just you, did. you know, as a parent, we take on our children's um, successes and we take on, uh, For sure. what, what we thought wasn't, wasn't the way it was going to go. 
And, um, you know, we just really, as parents have to realize, we don't really have that much control over our children, For you sure. know, uh, yeah. ultimately. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it was, it was a really challenging time. I mean, that we, you know, we came out to our families and we, we kind of brought them into what was going on. And then quite honestly, we didn't really talk about it for, you know, for the next couple of years as, as Jen and I got ready to actually do, uh, do transition. We kind of wanted to give them space to, to process and deal with it. And, um, and, you know, it was just kind of a really awkward couple of years with it all. And it, it, uh, it was difficult, you know, it was difficult for everyone to get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, to your point is, I think there, there is, and I'm a, a total believer that there's a lot of, a lot of parents that very fairly, I think, go through a, a process of mourning. I think with my, with my parents, it was, you know, the first step was, was, you know, it all sinking in that, that I had struggled so long with this uh, and they had, had not under, or not known it was going on. And then I think the second part of it is, you know, that that future that they see for their kid isn't what they thought it was going to be. And, um, and I think that, you know, it's a lot, I think a lot for parents to deal with. And, and quite honestly, I, I think from my perspective now, what had to happen was, you know, was I had to do it. I had to live my life. Right. And, you know, now looking back a few years later, it's, you know, everybody just needed to see that it could work, I think. Um, well, there's, there's that fear too, as a parent. And, and you know, Yeah, you want to protect your kids. Absolutely. And, you know, there is that, and you're going back to those societal norms. So we got, you know, our, well, your generation, my generation and our parents' generation um, who don't necessarily understand what it means and who are, they have that bias and you're worried, you know, uh, you know, we had this chat, you know, a couple of weeks ago where, you know, I would be worried that someone would want to hurt my child that wanted to take such a big step out into the world. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Like, I, and I do, I do think for, I mean, even, you know, the work we do in the community with other families now, I, I think that is the drive a lot of the time. I mean, I think that um, it is that, like you said, I mean, as a parent myself, you would do anything you can to protect your kid. And, and I think that that internalized, you know, transphobia, that internalized dialogue that we all grew up with, uh, presents us with a feeling of fear when we, when we look at somebody who is, like you said, putting themselves out there. You can't disappear after you go through something like this. Yeah. And you've got to worry about, you know, I hate, you know, oh my God, what are the neighbors going to think? Oh my gosh, exactly. are, you know, yeah. grandpa is going to think or whatever. I mean, all those people. And that is so out of control for a parent. You want to kind of just ring it all back in and go, why can't we just do it this way? Why can't we do it this way? And, yeah. and it's not with an intent to be um, malicious about it, but it, it is totally you know, I mean, you know, you're a parent, the, the very last thing you want is for your child to hurt and for you to hurt, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think yeah. that that is, yeah, you said it perfectly. I mean, those were all the conversations was, um, you know, with Jen and I or with, with parents was, you know, we wrote letters to all our neighbors. We met with our kids' schools. We, you know, we were worried about our kids' friends not coming over anymore. We were worried about all the, like, everything you can think of. It was absolutely... Uh, exhausting time for all of us, I think. But think about the work that you and Jen have put into this. In just, I mean, you're, we're talking almost two decades 
of the work that's gone in to make a safe place for you, for Jen, for your kids, for your family, for your friends, for your neighbors, it must be absolutely frightening for someone who doesn't, um, who hasn't been intentional about it, who doesn't know what to do, who doesn't have the support in place that you have. I, I think I want to speak to you about that, but first we're going to take a break. You are listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. My guest today is Kirsten Moore. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven-module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand, and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Welcome back. You are listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. My guest today is Kirsten Moore. So Kirsten, what we were just talking about earlier is what happens today for people who, it's, is it safe? It's not safe, is it, to come out? I hate using that term. I hate using that term, just for the record. What is the right term? To come, like instead of coming out? Yeah, yeah I, I totally, I, I think the problem with, <clears throat> with the coming out language is that, you know, is that, you know, you shouldn't have to come out. You should just get to be. Um, but that being said, I, I think it is a very, I still use it because I think it, uh, it's. Well, everyone uh, knows what it is. Everyone knows what it means. Yeah, yeah. it's a very kind of defining statement. Um, as far as your question, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a really tricky one to answer because I think that, um, I think that so much progress has happened, uh, you know, definitely in Canada. Uh, in this community, I think there is a long way still to go. There is definitely um, challenges, and there is absolutely places that aren't safe or or situations that aren't safe for people. Uh, the work that we that I do now uh, in the volunteer world, I mean, the stories are never ending about gender diverse individuals in in really unfortunate circumstances. So that's definitely there. Um, But when I speak, I'm also very conscious to not proliferate fear. Um, And I I use my own story as the example. And I, um, I think that it's, you know, when I speak or write blogs or doing that kind of stuff in the back of my head, I'm always thinking about the person that is not out yet. And I think that if we are always putting out the negative commentary or the fearful commentary, then I think like for me, for a lot of years, that's what drove me not to come out, not like to, to stay uh, in the closet. Cause I was, you know, I, I would look at those stories, I'd read the headlines and, and, you know, it just reinforced this, uh, this belief that that life wasn't possible uh, and it was going to be devastating and it was going to be all these negative things. So I think there is a balance. I use, you know, my own story as far as transitioning in Airdrie, Alberta, thinking, 
you know, small Alberta town, um, thinking it was going to be, you know, I had prepared myself and we as a family had prepared ourselves for it to be really challenging uh, for a long time. And the the reaction and the actual outcome has been incredibly positive uh, in the city. Um, I, I can count on one hand, you know, the number of negative interactions that have happened uh, or even, you know, moments where I've felt, uh, you know, discriminated or less than or, or any of those words. But for the most part, it has been very, very positive. So I think there we're in this transitional time, I think, in, in the, the trans and gender diverse world where there is, a, you know, a lot of education, a lot of understanding that needs to, to happen. Um, but I do think when we put that information out there and we put the stories out there and we tell them in a very real and vulnerable way, I, I honestly believe that most people, uh, most people can get there and can understand what, uh, what is, is what it's all about. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And, you know, I mean, I, when I was growing up, you know, there wasn't, uh, there was a little bit of gay running around, but not, not anything that you really paid attention to. And then as I got into the working world and, you know, um, I started, I worked, uh, I used to uh, manage the train station in Banff for uh, a company and all the onboard attendants were gay. And as I got to know them, I mean, they're just people. But that took a long time, honestly, to get used to the idea of it. You know what I mean? Like that acceptance piece is there has to be a bit of give back here where you have to understand or people have to understand that they just, it's not that they're not going to embrace it, but you can't just throw someone at it. Does that make sense? It does, totally. I think that I, my response, my addition to what you just said is, is twofold. Uh, the first piece and the way that, that I absolutely think about it uh, and have thought about it the entire way through is I was at a, the Esprit conference in uh, Port Angeles, Washington. It's, it's a, a, a very, very large transgender conference that happens every year. And at that conference, Helen Boyd, who's an author, um, she's the, the spouse of a transgender woman. She was there speaking and um, I had a moment to, to chat with her after. And the, the one question I asked her was, was what, what was the biggest lesson that they as a couple learned when they went through it all. And uh, I will never forget a response. She said, without any hesitation, she said, um, a 1080-10 rule, she said. And she, as she said, as they, as they kind of, you know, announced to the world who they were uh, or this change in their life, she said there was 10% of people that, you know, without any hesitation or, you know, any, any moment of uh, of doubt were just immediately supportive, immediately, you know, kind of those, the, those 10% of people that are like, you know, okay, that's great. Where do you want to go for dinner? And that's the end of the conversation. And then she said there was 80% of people that needed time. They needed more information. They needed, you know, some space. They needed whatever it was from the situation. And she said eventually they came back and they loved and supported them. Um, and then she said there was 10, there's 10% 10 of people that will just never get it. You will never give them enough information. You will never uh, convince them. And I'll never forget her looking at me. And she said, our biggest lesson was that we wasted too much time on those 10%, you know, the 10% that we're never going to yeah. get it. So as you always do in any situation, you can have a hundred people glowing, loving you and one doesn't, and you focus on that one. And it's uh, so very true. 
And, you know, I believe that that 10%, you're right. You know, you just can't, you, you can't make everybody understand or, or see it. Um, and I think that's a choice on their part too. And, and, you know, it's like, well, one day you just never know what's going to happen that that might bring that right back around in your face, you know, and it's yeah. not a judgment, but it is a judgment. And I think it's, you know, to your point earlier, I think for, for the, you know, people in the community, a lot of the, the transgender community, a lot of times the advice or the, the perspective I share is I, I, I do think it's also very important to, you know, to give people time and space, like to your point of needing some time uh, to whatever the right word is, acclimatize, absorb, you know, absorb. maybe yeah. to this new idea, this new situation. And I, I think if you're too quick to slam a door closed on a relationship, then you never really know, you know, if those people would have come around or, you know, it's, it's kind of that really trusting that, you know, whatever they're struggling with is their struggle and not yours. And, you know, as much as you need, you want them to respect you, you need to respect the fact that they need to do whatever they need to do to get, uh, to get through kind of understanding it. Mm-hmm. The other way that I think about it, you know, I've thought about it with, you know, definitely very close people in our lives and, and family and parents and stuff is um, I think that when you, when you come out to people that I've seen, I see people move through almost, you know, I think about it as a spectrum, you know, at one end being tolerance and the other end being acceptance. And to me that, you know, and neither, you know, tolerance, I don't mean at all in a negative way. I just mean, you know, when I use my parents as an example, when I, um, when I, you know, announce this to them, they were immediately, you're my kid. I I will always love you no matter what, all those sorts of things. And so there's kind of this element of, okay, I, I'll, I'll, I'll figure out how to understand this part of you and I'll, you know, I'll t- quote unquote tolerate it. Um, and then as we move through the journey and, you know, more of this, of who I was starts to come out and um, I start working through all the challenges and then my life restarts as kind of this, you know, this as my authentic self. And, you know, I've definitely seen family move you know, move through that spectrum to a, to a true acceptance to people coming, coming to me and, you know, whether it's family or coworkers or whoever saying, uh, and making statements like, I can't imagine you as anyone else now. Um, you know, like to me, that is, that is the acceptance point. Absolutely. When you're at at the acceptance part of the spectrum, I think that you don't have to second think, you don't have to think twice about pronouns and you don't have to think twice about names because that person that has now, you know, uncovered themselves is them. And and it makes, it makes sense. And like I said, none of that is negative. I I think it, I think from somebody going through it, what I consciously did along the way is, you know, if, if there was an awkward situation or, you know, name or whatever was going on, it was kind of what I did for myself to say, okay, that person's just not there yet. You know, they're not. And, uh, and I was really conscious, except in, you know, extreme circumstances um, to not close any doors. And, you know, three years later, those pe- lots of people have come back, you know, after a year or after a year and a half and said, I just needed time. I just needed space. I just needed to, you know, to, to think about it. I needed to see your life. I needed to, uh, and I think that's all fair. That's, you know, as much as I want to figure my journey out, um, everybody else should be able to as well. Absolutely. And you know, you took how many years to figure your journey exactly. out, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, what, how is this fair with your children? So you have a boy and a girl. How old are your kids? 
Our kids are 10 and 12 okay, now. So how has this been for them? Are they getting any kickback in the school? Have they, do they question what's going on? I mean, I don't, and I don't, I hope that doesn't sound negative at all because I, I don't think it, it, I'm not meaning it to be. I'm just trying to figure out how does that, um, the kids are like, you just mom and mom? I'm in the, yeah, they, um, so well, I'll step out, step back. So the kids for sure was, um, was without a doubt, our biggest, our biggest fear was, was kind of, um, you know, one of those, those negative internalized commentaries was I'm screwing up my kids. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to screw up my kids if I do this. And a lot of that fear was there. And one of the struggles we had together was between Jen and I was, was finding somebody, you know, as far as somebody that could give advice or, you know, trying to find information on how to approach it with, you know, at the time they were uh, five and seven, I believe, uh, when we kind of brought them into it. And there is, you know, there is very little to, to no information on, on how to navigate that with, with kids. Uh, so we kind of ended up making it up along, uh, along the way. Um, and what we did because of their age, you know, since they could sit up, we did uh, story time with them every night and we managed to find five at the time, probably five or six kids books on gender diversity or, or kind of that, that transgender theme. Um, and we didn't make a big deal out of it. We, we honestly, we just stuck those five books in their bookcase. Um, and when they ran to get a book every night, you know, some nights they would grab it, some nights they wouldn't. Um, but over time, we ended up reading these books quite a bit. And uh, so when when we actually kind of started to, to talk to them about it, it was, you know, as much as we were waiting for this for this big moment with them, it was kind of not a big deal. It was almost having to explain to them why it was a big deal uh, in those initial, uh, initial days. And then we just slowly started introducing it, you know, over kind of months and, and years probably as, as far as them seeing little changes in me or changes in clothes or, you know, all of it was, was very, very, very slow uh, just so that it wasn't this huge uh, kind of shock moment for them. Well, that's the beauty of children is they are so accepting until, you know, uh, society gets a hold of them. That's exactly it. I mean, that's the, cause it wasn't just our own kids. It was, you know, friends, kids, and it was nieces and nephews and, uh, without a doubt, the you know the uh, the huge lesson was that you don't have to unteach them anything. Um, is that they're they're you know in this beautiful innocent way they're just looking at people as people, and you don't have to explain what's what's right and wrong and and why uh, why it might be uh, might be troubling or or hard for for our family. Um, and then as you know as we kind of got closer to to actually, uh, or tell I got, as I got sort to, to going through, through transition, um, around the house, it, uh, you know, I started to present more and more as, uh, you know, as me. And so it just got to be kind of more and more normalized in our house. And, you know, the first, the first moment that was, that was, was, was kind of the point at which, you know, it's not that I would just whatever quit worrying about it and probably will never quit worrying about it uh, just because I'm a parent. But the moment that I, that we both kind of, Jen and I both kind of appreciated that, you know, that they were going to be okay through this was I was getting my, my son out of the bathtub and drying him off. And he had this really distressed look in his face. And he said, 
he looked at me and he said, I don't know what to, or we don't know what to call you when you're, uh, when you're uh, dressed like a girl, he said. <laughs> and uh, I looked at him and, you know, like hyper, you know, supportive parent mode. And we had decided that I, you know, after transition, I, we had told them if they want to keep calling me dad, that's fine. I mean, if people have a problem with that, that's their problem, uh, not ours. And so I right away went into that mentality. I'm like, well, you can still always call me dad. It doesn't matter what I'm wearing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and he kind of just looked up at me like I was, you know, I didn't know what I was talking about. And, and he said, yeah, no, I get that, but it doesn't feel right anymore. And that, and that in itself, what a beautiful moment. Yeah, it was, it was so awesome. And, and uh, so then I said, okay, well, let's get ready for bed. And I said, well, go get your sister and, uh, we'll sit down and we'll brainstorm, brainstorm some different names. And he just looked at me with this giant grin on his face and he said, we already did. <laughs> so him and his, him and his sister had sat down and, and made a list of all the things they could call me instead of dad. And he was so proud because one of the ones on the list that was his idea was Didi instead of daddy. And so that's the one they had both agreed on. And he was really happy because it had been his idea. And so, yeah, from that moment on, they just kind of switched. So, you know, that, that I was, I was Didi instead of daddy to them. Your heart um, must be so full when you tell that story. It yeah, makes, it was it such a... Tear, yeah, it <laughs> brings a tear to my eye. It's so, such a beautiful story. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was really, really awesome. And, and, and they... You know, and now that they're older, they've got all these these cute little nicknames like like deeds or <laughs> there's all these funny <laughs> funny things. But but I mean, it's it's really fascinating at how you know how in hindsight, you know, it's certainly a big deal. But in hindsight, out of all the things we went through, um, they they navigated through it really well, and they just they just got it. The story with my my daughter was the. Uh, the Christmas before I, I transitioned, when we went back to my parents in Saskatchewan, we had kind of decided that I was going back for the first time or spending that Christmas break, I guess, away from work. I was going to go back as me and, you know, I, I wasn't going to hide anymore and I was just going to, uh, to, to be, you know, and be my authentic self. And, and so for that whole Christmas break, um, I was Didi and I was Kirsten and, you know, I was, I was comfortable and, happy. And I will never forget the night before I was going back to work the next morning, um, I was sitting on, uh, on her bed and Daphne was sitting next to me. And she said, she said, uh, are you going back? Do you get to go back to work as Dee tomorrow? And I said, no, not yet. And, you know, I know it kind of sucks, but I got to switch back for a little while. And, and she started crying and she said, you know, she was, she was heartbroken. She says, that's going to be so hard and you've been so happy and you've been so um, it's been so much fun and all these kind of, you know, it was all very, very positive for her. And so again, another moment that I was just kind of like, okay, <laughs> you're going to be okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, your children are being raised by incredibly beautiful people to be able to give that gift to your children, uh, that they, they just simply love you. It, it, it sounds so it almost sounds like a fairy tale, but it's like, it, it's, it's so easy. And yet you wish you the rest of the world could get that on their level. Yeah, for sure. And it is that, you know, it is the, um, 
I think that, you know, one of the, the really, another really formative moments was um, the first year I went to that conference I was telling you about, I met another couple, you know, kind of in our situation, but a lot, you know, they were in their, in their sixties, I think, uh, or late fifties. And so had kind of, you know, had their kids and done everything. And, um, and we had dinner with them when, when we were back in Calgary and the cisgendered uh, spouse in the, in the couple, I remember her telling us that, you know, cause we were kind of curious, you know, we were like, why did you stay together? Why did you, um, you know, kind of all those whys, like give us, give, we were desperate, like give us something to, to what's the magic or what's the, uh, what's the secret that we need to know to get through this. And uh, I will never forget her saying, she said, uh, and I think it's such, such a good life decision with respect to anybody going through anything or, uh, or just change with you or other people in your life is that whole, the whole idea that, you know, the way she said it, she, she said she had to work through this, this process of appreciating that the future she imagined was going to look different. And mm. she said what, but and with that, she said, um, but different doesn't mean bad. And I think in our society so often, you know, to your point earlier about change, it's like we, we automatically assume that different than what we have right now is going to be bad. And if, uh, if you're reminding yourself along the way that, yeah, it's going to look completely different or, you know, when I think of, of our future and, you know, all of those things, it's going to look different than what we thought it was going to look like in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so far that different is really good. Our family is way closer. Um, we, you know, to your point, we've got these two kids who will advocate for anything, you know, as far as friends at school and, you know, they're the kids that are noticing the ones that aren't getting pulled into stuff. And they're the ones that are supporting the ones that don't have support. And, you know, it's not something that we've taught. It's just, there's this environment that they've seen the strength in, uh, in that approach. Yeah. And I think in, uh, you know, not directly taught them, but I mean, just by your actions alone have taught them very well. Those are beautiful gifts to give to your children. Um, so for your future, so you decided now you were, um, you were done with the oil and gas industry because this pull to, to be an advocate for the transgender community, uh, you got your bachelor of psychology degree. And so what are, what are you doing now in your world? And, and I have to ask you, I mean, did you need to get that psychology degree? Because you kind of did it through the university of life, I think, but that's yeah. just me. <laughs> yeah. I think that, uh, you know, that my personality is, um, which, which may be obvious by now, but is, is very much a planner. And I, uh, you know, the, the psychology, the drive to do the psychology degree, to be 100% honest, when I started that degree, it was at the point that I, I was feeling like transition was going to be a thing that, that was going to happen. And I thought it was going to be impossible to do it in oil and gas. So really the psychology thing, um, you know, there was definitely a passion there for it. I had been through all these years of, of, of counseling and I admired so much at, at the person that I you know, that I got to know over all those years and how she was able to take me from, you know, from impossible to possible. And, and I thought that, you know, that 
being able to give that gift to others is uh, is a really cool idea uh, or would be a really rewarding idea. Um, so that was kind of the decision to do it. And, and, you know, in that, in that story, quite honestly, it was, it was the 11th hour that I decided to even try at, you know, in oil and gas. And I, we're sitting and having, you know, having dinner and, and when I was getting closer to a transition, I was, I was, you know, had made my mind up. I was going to leave oil and gas, go to grad school, get my, uh, get my counseling psychology degree and then just start this other life and kind of never talk to anyone in that world again. Um, and <laughs> what I realized as I got closer to it is, is that, you know, I was having a lot of anxiety over the fact that, you know, as much as I wanted to tell myself that all these people in oil and gas were, you know, were just colleagues, they weren't, you know, there they were people that I'd worked with my entire adult life and there was a lot of great relationships and friends. And I started to be really, you know, really, worried about looking back in 10 years and not knowing for sure how it could have worked or may have worked. And so we were having dinner one night and, and Jen just kind of looked at me and she said, well, you've got plan B, like just try. And if it doesn't work, then you do what you're going to do anyway. And, um, and so while I'm incredibly grateful that I did, and I went through that process in the industry um, because you know, 99% of people were amazing. And I think it did uh, a whole bunch to create awareness uh, and understanding for the trans community in a world that, you know, that doesn't, uh, or in an industry that doesn't very often see anything different uh, than kind of that normal, you know, normal corporate facade. Um, yeah. I think it I think was really, really a, powerful. Yeah, and I think there's a number of uh, those communities uh, where you're going to see once once the awareness becomes more um, ac acceptable, for lack of a better word, but once we become as a society more comfortable with with this life that people want to live, uh, if that's if you know what I'm trying to say, but I think we see that we're going to see that a lot in um, you know possibly police officers. We're going to see that in you know in all those male. Uh, dominated careers, um, I am so certain that this is not unique to uh, a small group of people. Yeah, for sure. I, I totally agree. Like I am forever optimistic that I, I think most people, most people are kind people. And I think it it's exposure and it's information and it's all those things just to uh, well, really... and it's going to allow people to live their true selves. I, oh, I really sure. believe yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, I went through everything uh, in within my own company and, um, you know, and I'm, I look back at, you know, even that moment of, uh, you know, working through it with a company and, you know, the, the, the best, best memory, you know, best memory slash one of the most terrifying moments of my life. But when, you know, as an example, when we were talking about how to, how to do it or how to make the announcement, you know, I was in a leadership role. I had a very big team. Um, I'd been there forever, forever. Everybody know who I was. And, you know, so we were kind of humming and hawing around, you know, just write a letter, send it out and then, you know, take a month off and then come back and, you know, all these different scenarios. And, and it kind of got to the, you know, to the wire and, um, and I thought all of those things that we had come up, come up with were not, you know, as much as this entire story is, is one of authenticity and, and being authentic to who you are, 
writing a letter for me, writing a letter and then, you know, removing myself from the situation for a month was not how I handled stuff. You know, I, I'm kind of was a very head on and honest. And, um, and so we kind of, you know, which made everybody, you know, the approach made everybody, I would say in the HR world, quite nervous. Um, but what I asked for was to get the entire division. So, you know, there was probably a hundred people, you know, in the theater, uh, in the, you know, the tower. And I sat in front and I, you know, I read the letter. I, I told, was honest with who I was. And um, to this day, I will never, you know, I will never, I can't figure out how I actually got the words out of my mouth, but, um, but I did. And I will never forget the moment um, of, you know, looking up from my paper and seeing that room in a standing ovation and clapping and tears and, you know, and after, after it was over, it was, I always joke, it was like a receiving line at a wedding. You know, there's this long line of people that were supportive and, you know, you know, and just amazing. So it was this really amazing experience. And what it solidified for me was, you know, my earlier point that, that people are kind, right. And I, I think that, that it is so impactful when it happens to somebody that, you know, right. And it's not just a news article and it's not just a, uh, you know, a, a, yeah. a, a post on Facebook or something. It's something. Well, that, that yeah. And, and I think that's to our conversation earlier about um, just to see the power that it takes for a human being to stand up and be their true selves. You know, it has really nothing to do with, with, uh, with your journey. It has everything to do with the human condition. There's a lot of people walking around that are unfulfilled, who are not happy and they don't know why. They, they don't know how to face their inner demons, so to say, and, and they don't know how to take that step and that leap of faith into their future. So I think you speak to that point as well, Kirsten. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that I mean, exactly what you just said is, is the biggest lesson I, I got going through it. And, um, you know, as I've, I've said, when I speak, I always start by saying, I don't want my story to be about being transgender because I really don't think that's what it's about anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was that moment at work and it was, you know, kind of that week, uh, week or two afterwards with all of these emails coming in of support, but also, you know, is very much that, that vulnerability thing is that my vulnerability opened this door with my entire network for them to be vulnerable back. Um, and just instantly I saw how many people kind of were struggling with their own challenges um, you know, to get to an authentic place, whether that's whatever it means to them, whether that's relationships or career or, you know, any of those things. Um, and so all these, I mean, the irony almost of it is all these years, I thought I was so alone and thought, you know, everybody around me had it all together. The reality was, is that everybody is on this journey towards an authentic self. And um, what, that very open and vulnerable transition did at work was it opened a conversation. I mean, the, the way the dynamic changed on the people on my team after that was incredible. It had very little to do with, you know, the change of clothes um, is that people would come in and share their struggles and they would share what they were uh, having a hard time with and, you know, all very valid stuff. And it was this realization of how many people are struggling with really hard things on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, it w- was just the most enormous wake up call, I think, in my life. 
So you had you you found two gifts to give to the world. I, I love that. Now um, you are uh, also you have been. I'll have to congratulate you on your nomination as one of Airdrie's amazing women. Um, what's that do for you when you when you receive that nomination? I think there's a couple of things. I, I think that you know the the first thing that happened you know in that story was last year for Women's Day. Um, I was asked to. Um, to share my story as part of the, the Women's Day conference out here. And they, as part of that, they, they put out a magazine every year. And, and I remember walking into that, that uh, the auditorium and picking up that magazine and it had my face on the front, <laughs> you know, the, this, this women's magazine in Airdrie, Alberta had the face of a transgender woman on the front. I mean, it was this incredible moment of, um, of, you know, just impactful reflection, you know, thinking, cause when I, when I look at it, it's not, you know, it, it wasn't a moment of, of, you know, look how amazing I am. It was this moment of, uh, this is how it starts, you know, like the importance of, of my face on a magazine or the importance of a nomination as Airdrie, one of Airdrie's amazing women is so much more about what it does for the trans community in, uh, in the city or in this province, it's it's gives people something to point to to say, you know what, that's a really positive story. She was able to do it. I can do it. Um, it changes, it starts to change the commentary, and it's that it's that visibility, it's the representation. I guess is maybe the right word um, of the community is so important right now for all the people that are still struggling through uh, struggling through their own journey. Well, and I think that to yourself of 2005, it is a huge confirmation and shout out to the work you've done. Never diminish that 15-year journey. Uh, It's not even been 15 years. It's been your entire life to do the work you've done. It's incredible and it's incredibly inspiring. Like, I, you know, Kirsten, I'm, I'm, I'm actually very honored to know you. I think you are an incredible human being. I, I wish we could do this podcast for about three hours because it's really, really interesting. I can't wait to see and keep in touch for your future. And I would love to be able to do a podcast again in a number of years when it has become part of our society with no judgment in all of that. It's an incredible gift that you bring. Never forget that. Write that on a, on a, on a sticky and put it on your bathroom mirror in case there's any days that you doubt yourself. I, and thank you so, so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me and just you know, creating the space for this conversation, I think is, uh, is so incredibly important to so many people out there. So um, I definitely thank you for that as well. You have been listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose and that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. To learn more about Helen's journaling retreats, speaking engagements, and life coaching, or to sign up for her newsletter, please visit HelenRose.ca. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.